Welcome to Biocompatibility, the first ever podcast focused on the biocompatibility of medical devices. NAMSA is happy to bring Biocompatibility to you, where each episode features leading industry experts and their discussions on biocompatibility challenges. Be sure to visit www.namsa.com for more information and to access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biocompatibility, the podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We have a very special episode today where we are introducing you to a guest. Don, it's not just us. It's not just us. Yes. So, you know, we get try to venture away from people just listening to the Sherry and Don show, as it was referred to by one of our <laughs> listeners. I can say that. It was a listener. We it had was a listener. listener. It was a real listener. Yeah. So Confirmed. we've coerced someone else into joining us. So today we have Lisa Olson with us. Lisa has recently joined NAMSA as our new global director of analytical services. Welcome to NAMSA, Lisa. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Yeah. And, and are you equally excited to be on Biocompatibility, the podcast? I am thrilled. I didn't even denote any sarcasm there, Sherry. So. I didn't either. I think that was She's that either was really genuine. good at that or, yeah, or it was <laughs> genuine. So. That was very genuine. Very genuine. So, Lisa, so maybe just give us a, a short little intro and then, you know, Don and I have some questions for you and then We've devised a, a new game. Well, it's not a new game. It's a game we've decided we're going to play with every guest on the podcast from now on. So you're our first one. And if it fails, then we'll just pretend this never happened. Well, it's an experiment. That's what we're all about here. Exactly. Exactly. So maybe give us a little bit of background and then we'll, we'll ask you some questions. Sure. Uh, well, I've been um, in the medical device industry for nearly 25 years now. It's hard to believe, but it's been a, a fantastic journey. Um, I've been, interestingly enough, in the CRO side of things for my entire career and, and started in smaller privately held companies and, and moved all the way up into multinational, very large consulting firms. I've typically had a focus in biocompatibility, you know, particularly in gene tox, um, cytotoxicity, hemocompatibility, and then moving into the in vivo testing. And as the standards change, the biological evaluations and materials characterization. I've had the privilege to be able to write standards um, and actually over, over the course of my career, have been able to work with some folks who are now my NAMSA colleagues. And then most recently took a, um, a role in a company that looked a little bit more um, strategically at some of the front end regulatory strategy and then also clinical evidence development. So rounding out some of my pure testing experience with some of the the broader consulting. So then I um, I realized it was come, so you, time to come back. You are to MRO. You are yeah. MRO. <laughs> <laughs> the MRO approach, as we call it here at NAMSA, yes. which well, we'll get into that. So yeah, welcome back to the lab side, right? better side to be on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. I, well, I don't know. I, I kind of go over both sides, but I kind of came back to my home in biocompatibility uh, not six months ago or so. So I, I feel more at home where I am today. And Don, you've always been at home. I'm just drifting. I'm a drifter. I drift you're, around. <laughs> you're at home no matter where you are. <laughs> So Lisa, thank you for you know a little bit of background. You've obviously been with some amazing companies and we're super happy that you're with NAMSA, but so why now? Why join NAMSA? 
you know, I like I said, I was really excited and 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 pleased with some of the things I've done, but I missed my I missed my home. I really wanted to get back into looking at science again, being able to um, help impact where. Where, where the world of medical device testing and medical device safety is going. So it just mm-hmm. turned out to be a, a wonderful set of circumstances to be able to jump over and, and get on the lab side again. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I guess kind of a, reaching along that, that that theme of being back in the, the lab side. So you, you talked about genotox and cytotox in the past. In your role now at NAMSA, you know, on the, the, the side of chemical characterization, yeah, there's going to be a few chemists, I think, in your future that you're going to have to, to work with. So what, what got you interested in, in working in, in that area uh, in terms of chemical characterization and leading that group? You know, that's, it's a great question. And people have very traditionally separated them out. They've said, oh, well, there's, there's the biological testing and there's the chemistry testing. And one of the things that had always baffled me once I, uh, one of the many things I'll say, uh, once I got involved <laughs> with the, with the testing was, you know, we would test a ch- chunk of material and we would get results. And sometimes the results wouldn't match prior results. And I, I would start asking questions. What's in it? What's in this material? What has changed? And time and time again, these manufacturers couldn't really tell me. And so I, I'm excited to be able to join in on the analytical chemistry side to be able to help create that blending of the thought process. I mean, yes, analytical chemistry and analytical services is, is, a, is a discipline in, a, in and of itself. But the idea of really being able to identify ahead of time what the potential risks are and then um, be in a position with a company to help um, create the data sets that can be linked to get a bigger picture. So I think that's just a, a really exciting possibility to, to help change that fundamental belief of these are separate entities, but, but really they're not anymore. Very yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, excellent. And I think Don and I have talked about that a little bit here, and we've talked about it about it a lot. You know, personally, as we we've taught training all over the world, is that really it's all one part of it's all one big evaluation process. And I think we built those walls almost as laboratories in the past. Like, here's your biocomp testing, here's your chemistry testing. But really, today it's about breaking down those walls and bringing all those teams together. So, you know, I know that's part of my role at NAMSA, and I'm happy that I'll be working with you as part of your role at NAMSA too. So along those lines, what are your thoughts on the future of even traditional biocompatibility testing and chemical characterization? I know I have some opinions, Don has some opinions, but I'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts. You know, I'm probably being a bit contrarian to how a lot of people have started evaluating the new 10993-1 document. In my mind, it's an and. People are looking at it as an or and saying, well, with the new document, we're going to be able to do chemistry and then we're not going to do any biocompatibility. I just don't believe that to be true. I think it's going to be an and, but I think it's going to make our testing much better informed and and be able to help us identify and refine how that testing is done and and ultimately the answers we get out of it. So I, I think we're going to see a very interesting, it's going to be, it's going to be slow. People are going to want to resist because they were hoping for it to be an or and save some money. Yeah. But, you know, I believe that ultimately people are going to be excited about knowing better answers. For sure. Yeah, I'd say certainly from just in the recent history, especially with some regulators, again, no names mentioned, but um, <laughs> it, it's certainly more of a topic of and this working with that instead of one taking the place completely of the other. 
Although, when you were talking earlier about uh, what's in the block of the material, it is sometimes scary how little people know about what's in the block of material that they just bought from right. who knows what supplier <laughs> and what vendor. And they don't, in some cases, they don't seem to care. And I, I could see with more of an emphasis on chemical characterization, there's a different way to, to view what's in that chunk and what mm-hmm. you should know about what's in that chunk, um, rather than just assuming that it's all good, which in some cases is pretty silent assumption, I think, that companies are making. So anyways, so certainly, I mean, dealing with these topics, I mean, I threw out the idea of, of are the, the issues with regulators and certainly hurdles that companies are going to have getting regulatory approval, clearance, whatever it may be. What do you think will be the biggest challenges that manufacturers are going to face, whether it be chemical characterization or just an overarching biocompatibility type uh, concept? Well, I think it's going to be multifaceted. So clearly, I can use the hackneyed phrase, regulatory change is going to be a problem. But, But if you walk that back a step, as we start looking and getting more information, then it raises new risks that weren't there. And then the, the secondary part of that is uh, we keep driving our methods, particularly in analytical services, to be more sensitive. So then all of a sudden you're detecting things at much lower concentrations. And then you have to ask the question, what does that mean? We're detecting 50 new compounds in this material that we've used for the past 100 years. No patients have died. No patients are getting ill that we yep. can tell. Does it matter? And yep. so I think certainly the regulators are going to be evolving in their thought process, but with the access to new data, I, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge to say, well, now there's all these risks that we've, quote unquote, identified, but do they matter? And one could could apply that in, in whole bunches of different areas like genetic testing, where they say, oh, you've got a gene that predisposes you, but does it matter? Will that gene be activated? I think it's the same is true with some of the new test methods and saying, well, we've identified something. Okay, so what? Mm-hmm. Does it matter? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's spot on. And our toxicologists talk about that all the time in their their roles of of assessing that chemistry data. One of our favorite cartoons, I'll try to draw a picture of it in your mind, from (laughs) the use in training, is a gentleman like on on a hospital bed hooked up to a pole. And the doctor says, we're sorry, we have to take you off of this life-saving medication because we've detected, what is it, Don? BPE? BP. Phthalates. 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 Because we've detected phthalates, so we're taking you off this life-saving measure. And so that's exactly it. So now that we know there's a phthalate, what's the risk of it versus, yeah, taking them off of it, which was going to be death. Yeah. And I totally jacked up that cartoon, but it's a really cool cartoon. You did. You, yeah. you, you obliterated you the cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, or, I mean, the other example that we have uh, in a lot of the training that we do is, um, you know, you have a surface contacting device or a device that really shouldn't be a concern when it comes to genotox, but you do chemical characterization and you find a carcinogen that's sitting in the middle of your product. And you're like, ah, it doesn't matter because it's just skin contact. So it's okay that it's there. Well, you know, it just raises a concern. And now with medical device regulation, it could raise labeling concerns, all kinds of other things that you have to right. deal with. So, so yeah, it, it could be an interesting world when people start getting potentially more information or arming themselves with more information and, and what they need to do with it and how they use it certainly is going to be interesting. Well, I know um, when you talk about people having more access to information and you talk about the average consumer having access to some of this information, you get some really interesting interpretations. (laughs) And certainly 
from a, a very personal experience, uh, my dad had some leads. I won't name who had them, but uh, there ended up being some issues. Okay, that happens. They weren't right. out of the ordinary. They were part of the identified risks. Well, when my mom heard about these issues, then you know she kept saying, well, they should have, they should have done something. They should have been able to prevent this. So for mm-hmm. her, the identification outweighed any potential benefit. You know, he, he was able to live for a lot longer because of the benefit of having, having these leads attached to a defib versus, well, if he didn't have that defib and those leads, he yeah. could have probably died 15 years yep. earlier. But how do you use this information and, and who's coaching? Who's coaching yep. different folks? I mean, laboratories need to be coached on how they look at it just as much as the agency, just as much as the doctors and the patients. Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, that kind of similar story for me too, because my, my dad will openly admit that he wouldn't be around as long as he had if it wasn't for the miracles of modern medicine, whether it be all the devices he has running through him right now <laughs> um, or all of the medications that he's on. But it's, it's what keeps him going. So certainly he's going to, you know, he has no idea, I think, what we do here for a living. But Right. You know, every day he understands the benefit. He's not so concerned about the risk. Yep. He just knows the benefit. <laughs> so I think it's a matter that we put all the information out there that we at least have confidence that the risks are adequately addressed for, for products. Yeah. Well, we all have a commonality there. I think our dads all had have or had pacemaker leads of one sort or another. So yeah. we are bonded now. <laughs> That's interesting. It's a, And Don and I have certainly spent hours talking about some of the things that were life-saving measures for both of our fathers too, and and knowing some of the history of the devices. And it's a real interesting part of our jobs that people just don't quite understand. But, um, you know, I love having the kind of exposure we do. I love some of the insight here. I think this is great. We could all probably talk for hours about this kind of thing and bore everyone, but let's play a little game of two truths and a lie. Lisa, have you heard of the game two truths and a lie? I have. I have. All right. Interesting game. (laughs) It is. It is. So what we're going to do here is we've each got two truths and a lie around our working in the industry and and biocompatibility related of one way or another. So each of us will give our two truths and a lie, and then the other two get to try to select or determine which one of them is the truth and which one of them is the lie. So I think I explained that accurately. Better than the cartoon. Better than the cartoon, better than the cartoon. So I'll go first. Okay, so all of mine are related to conducting biocompatibility training around the world, as as we've mentioned before on the podcast. And I've had the pleasure for the last, oh gosh, probably 13, 14 years traveling around the world to help Don and some other of our experts do training. So mine all are related to biocompatibility training. So number one, while conducting biocompatibility training in Philadelphia, I experienced an earthquake while on the 33rd floor, and we just continued on with our exercises as if nothing ever happened. Number two, while conducting biocompatibility training in Sydney, Australia, a customer and I decided to go and climb that bridge to the top at the night where all the giant bats are. And number three, while conducting biocompatibility training in Dallas, Texas, I learned from a representative from the Saudi Arabian FTA how camels kill people. So those are my, my three things. Those are very interesting perspectives. <laughs> um, I am going to go with uh, number one as the lie. Okay. Do you want Don't me to you? guess? 
Do you re- you probably know, don't you? I, I'm pretty confident that I know okay. which one was the lie. I'm going to say number two was the lie. Uh, Sydney, yes, number two is the lie. Dawn knows I'm deathly afraid of that. She, she is. She would never do anything <laughs> that would remotely expose her to bats. She, that, yes. that, that risk is not worth the benefit of standing nope. on top of nope. a bridge. <laughs> not worth the benefit. Yeah. So we did have an earthquake while we were conducting training in Philadelphia. We were on the 33rd floor in a ballroom and it felt like they were just moving big, like food cart- carts down the aisle. And we just were like, what is that? And we just kept going. And then everybody's phones started blowing up that there was an earthquake. And <laughs> so we're like, I wonder if we should leave. But so, yeah. We learned that, and then and then sometime I could tell you about the vengeance of camels and how they take it out on people who have wronged them. So learned that for sure in Dallas from a representative from Saudi Arabia. So there you go. Facts you need. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> All right, Don, you want to go next? Sure, I'll go next. I, I yeah, we'll see. So first one. All of mine are related to presentations I did more than likely while conducting training. But anyways. During the presentation, I had a discussion regarding the X-Men character Wolverine while presenting on genotoxicity testing. When presenting on ISO 10993 Part 12 sample preparation and reference materials, a question on extraction preparation ratios turned into a conversation regarding simple polymer kinetics. (laughs) When presenting in front of a regulatory body, again, who shall remain nameless, A reviewer slash auditor indicated that pyrogenicity testing is part of a chemical characterization testing program, which I guess is funny to me. I don't. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think I know, Lisa, I'll let you go. So as much as I'd like number three to be to be a lie, uh, I would believe that question to be asked. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go with uh, number one as the lie. Sherry, do you want to take a step? Was number one Wolverine? One number one was Wolverine. Yes. Yeah, I think number three is the lie. Number three is the lie. Oh. The, the, Wolverine's <laughs> a mutant. Genotox. Oh, that's how it happened. True. So it was, was, it was quite the discussion about superheroes. Versus X-Men, mutants, not mutants. Anyways, it, yeah. It, Although, it, was he really a mutant? Because, you know, it was kind of in yeah. See, this is the, if, <laughs> if you Google, If you Google Wolverine, the description will say Wolverine is a mutant. Oh, okay. Now, you're trusting the sources of Google. I have the same question about Spider-Man. Don't even get started about Spider-Man. We don't have time yeah, for Spider-Man. I know. <laughs> Superhero, bitten by a mutant spider. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, now, now I drove us off track. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lisa, stump us. All right. So I uh, I looked at it a little bit uh, more seriously. Took a little gravitas when I was trying to create no this. Uh, so number one, are innovations driving to new areas that require new approaches in testing and evaluation? Number two. Chemical characterization plans require a variety of scientific disciplines. Or number three, the FDA is not open to strategic evaluations and adaption of plans. I got my answer. Go ahead, Sherry. I'm going to say number three is the lie. That is, oh, 
Well, you didn't get a chance to answer. <laughs> I'm going to agree with Sherry. Because it sounded like you were going to say, yeah. Winners. Winner, winners. Yes, that is true. And that's something that, uh, you know, yeah. I think a lot of device manufacturers are shortchanging themselves and not not talking to the FDA. Um, so I agree. I kind of did it as a self-serving little little point, a little public service <laughs> you, announcement. You are very good about keeping it educational. Don and I are completely <laughs> not. Av- <laughs> no. Now Please I feel bad. Wow. <laughs> well, this has been great fun, and I've certainly enjoyed getting to know you a little better. And you've been able to experience a little bit of biocompatibility. The podcast. Hopefully, you'll come back again someday and join us, and we'll maybe tackle a serious topic. But you know, we don't get too serious. We just can't take ourselves that serious. <laughs> yeah, we have to be serious the rest of the day. Right. So. Right. No, I appreciate the opportunity. This has been a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Biocompatibility, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy Biocompatibility, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast store. For free resources and material, remember to visit www.namsa.com resources podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biocompatibility. Ah, I said it wrong. Biocompatibility. Start over. <laughs> Start over. Biocompatibility, the podcast.